Today, I want to begin a new study on the subject of Christian virtues with the hope and the prayer that by studying what the Bible has to say about Christian virtues, we can help to build Christian character. Now, according to the dictionary, the word virtue in our modern English means moral excellence, goodness, righteousness, conformity of one's life and conduct to moral and ethical principles, uprightness, or rectitude. And that's how we would use that term if we spoke, for example, of a virtuous person. We would mean someone whose life conformed to proper moral and ethical principles. Someone who is morally excellent or good or righteous. According to a Greek dictionary of the Greek language, this word in Greek means a virtuous course of thought, feeling, and action, or any particular moral excellence, which we may note is something, a way in which we also use this word because we speak not only of virtue in the singular, but also of virtues, those uh, particular things that make up for a make up a virtuous character. So we mean by the term virtues particular moral excellences. We take moral excellence in its uh, whole and break it down into constituent parts, and we. Uh, talk about the particular characteristics that belong to moral excellence. Thus, for example, we might speak of courage or kindness or patience and so on as particular virtues that belong to a virtuous character. And when we speak of Christian virtues, we mean those virtues which God teaches us in his word that we should have. We are not then talking about virtues as they are conceived by the world. The world may have different things that it considers to be virtues, and I think we see some of this in our own society. We've heard a lot, we used to hear a lot of talk about self-esteem as a virtue. Well, to me, that uh, word self-esteem is just another word for pride, which is certainly not in the scriptures a virtue, but a vice instead. We place in our society high value on what we would consider the virtue of tolerance, and yet this virtue is highly overrated when it comes to the tolerance of error and even tolerance of evildoing. We talk about self-reliance, which tends to stand in opposition to faith and reliance on God. So the virtue, the world may classify as virtue certain things which the Bible considers to be vices. And they may think of other things which the Bible considers to be virtues as not virtues at all. And they may think of some virtues which uh, fall into both worldly and biblical uh, categories in a quite different way from 
the way that the Bible teaches us to think about them. So, for example, if we talk about courage, the world would certainly admire courage as a a virtue, and yet in the scriptures, this virtue of courage would begin with, would have its foundation in trust in God. It would not be a work simply of the human will and of the human mind, but would be something given by God and would have its roots then in faith. In fact, all Christian virtues, as we're going to see shortly, have their virtue, their roots in uh, faith. So as we're looking at these virtues, we want a biblical conception of them. There are some things that the world values then that we will leave out. There are other things that the world would not talk about that we will have to add to our list. And there are some things that of which we may have a, a worldly conception and we will have to adjust our conceptions to fit the biblical definition. But the point which we're um, going to have to understand here from the very beginning is that these virtues are something that all of us need to have. They are not for particular groups of Christians, such as men or women or children or leaders or rich or poor or any other category within the Christian body, but they are for all Christians, something that God commands all of us to have. Though there may be more need for some of these virtues in certain um, positions or in certain kinds of persons than in others. We cannot hope, of course, to be exhaustive about such a study. We will have to try to cover enough territory in talking about these virtues that we get at least some idea of what someone of Christian integrity or Christian completeness or Christian virtue in the broader sense looks like. We'll also have to understand as we're looking at these virtues that there is overlap between some of them, that some virtues might be classified in fact as as parts of other virtues or as uh, expressions of other virtues and that uh, these virtues sometimes work together and that one cannot really, in a sense, exist without the other, that one virtue may de be dependent on another for its full expression. So those are the kinds of things that we need to remember as we're doing this study of Christian virtues. I want to begin the study with 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and following. And in order to prepare the ground a little bit for our study of those verses, I'd like to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to uh, 9, uh, verses 1 to 11, excuse me. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, 
through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, before we begin to look at the virtues which we see here in verses 5, 6, and 7, uh, let's look a little bit at the background of the passage. The only thing that precedes this list is Peter's greeting in verses 1 to 4. And that greeting emphasizes the work of grace, the exceedingly great and precious promises of God, and the um, grace by which we have become partakers of the divine nature and have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the background here of the passage is uh, the grace of God, the grace of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the Apostle Peter then begins our passage by saying, but also for this very reason, that is for the reason of the great grace of God giving, given to you for the uh, sake of those gr exceedingly great and precious promises that God has spoken to you, do these things. These uh, virtues then, the uh, striving after these virtues, is the response of gratitude to the grace of God. It also stands in contrast with the corruption that is in the world through lust. Uh, the uh, corruption that characterizes the world, that is, what does not belong to the church, what is not uh, part of the work of salvation in Jesus Christ, is uh, a corruption that uh, came, came into the world through men's lusts. And Peter is saying, as he said in 1 Peter, and as he goes on to say, uh, in more detail also in this epistle, that Christians need to be separate from that corruption that is in the world. And one of the ways to be separate from that corruption that is in the world is to be striving after these virtues. The third thing that we should notice then is that we need to give all diligence. We need to give all diligence. This takes strenuous effort. We do not have these virtues as scripturally defined by nature. We may have some of them in a 
secular or worldly sense, but we do not have them according to the scriptural definition of them. And we'll see why that is in a moment. It's because prior to salvation, we did not have faith, and all of these virtues have their roots in faith. But as I said, we'll get to that in more detail in a moment. We don't have them then as we are by nature, and when Christ regenerates us, we don't have these virtues complete and perfect at the moment of regeneration. Christ doesn't give them to us all at once and complete. He commands us instead to be constantly striving for them throughout life. He gives us the seeds of them, the beginnings of them in regeneration and in the first work of sanctification. We may say that we possess them in principle, but we do not have them complete yet. And so there has to be a diligence that we exercise in order to develop these virtues in ourselves. Now, when we get to the list of virtues that Peter gives us in, in verses 5 to 7, we see very clearly here a hierarchy of virtue. He says, add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control. So he, he's, he's saying here really, in a sense, you, you need to work at these in stages. You need to add to your faith virtue. You need to add to your virtue knowledge. You need to add to your knowledge self-control. As you develop one, then you have the means to develop the next. Until he gets to the greatest of all the Christian virtues, the virtue of love, at the end of verse 7. Add to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love, of which Paul says the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, is love. Just before he gives us that beautiful chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 on the meaning of love. So we have to uh, look at this as a hierarchy. We have to look at this as a means by which we are going to develop these virtues. We have to look at this development of virtue as a kind of uh, stepwise process. We're not going to get to this all at once. We're not going to get to it uh, very quickly. In fact, we're not going to achieve perfection in any virtue in this life. Perfection comes only with the exaltation to glory. We have then here eight virtues, not by any means an exhaustive list of virtues, of course. There are many others that we'll be looking at in weeks to come. But Peter is here giving us enough that we will have plenty to work on, not only for the next week, but for many weeks following this in fact, for the rest of our lives. We begin, therefore, with the first three virtues in this list. Faith, virtue, 
and knowledge. And we separate those because I think these are kind of the basic virtues that we need to work on. They are the foundation, I think, together on which the other more specific virtues, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, are built. So uh, we want to look at that foundation first. And the very first part of that foundation is faith. Now, according to our fathers in the Heidelberg Catechism, for example, Faith has two parts. First of all, faith is believing what the scriptures teach, receiving the revelation of God. It is knowledge then, certain knowledge, that we receive not by the efforts of our own reason, the logic that we are able to apply to known facts, nor by observation, that is, by observing the world around us and drawing conclusions about that world from our observations, but by simply believing what God has said, accepting his word as true. That's the first part of faith. And the second part of faith, then, is trust. Trust in Christ as Savior, or trust in God as Savior. The Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 7 calls these two elements of faith certain knowledge and assured confidence. And that second element of, of faith is that what God has said about his work in the world and what he has said about his work in Jesus Christ to accomplish salvation, he has said, uh, applies rather, to me. That is, that he is speaking here not just of something he has done, but he is speaking of something he has done for me. It's the confidence that I belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul, because he has purchased me with his precious blood. So those are the two parts of faith. The knowledge of what God has revealed in the scriptures and the trusting in Christ as Savior. This faith is a gift of God. It's not something which we can produce in ourselves. The Apostle Paul says this, uh, in a number of places in his letters, but one place that he says it is at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, where he talks about believing according to the working of his mighty power. That's verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? So God works this faith in us. It is a gift that we receive from God. It's a gift that we receive along with the gift of regeneration. God regenerates us apart from faith. That work of regeneration comes before everything else. He makes us alive. And that gift of life, 
that gift of a new creaturehood in Christ Jesus is the gift by which God empowers us to believe. And then he works faith in us as he continues to supply us with his spirit, as the spirit works in our hearts to maintain and nurture and develop that faith in us. So it's a gift of God, and it's a gift of God not only in its beginning, but also in its development and maintenance from the time of our regeneration to the very end of life here on earth. And this faith then develops in us as we look to God in faith to give us faith. Just as the father of the child possessed by a demon said to Christ, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So that's the, the nature of faith. And it is the fundamental Christian virtue. Because out of this faith, then, comes everything else. Comes all the other Christian virtues. And what we mean when we say that is that the Christian virtues are also gifts of God and gifts of God to us as we exercise faith towards Him. As we, then, ask God to give us those virtues. And as we uh, seek to acquire and nurture those virtues in us by the daily exercise of faith and by the use of the means of grace, both the private means of grace, that is prayer and the study of the scriptures, and the public means of grace, the hearing of the preaching of the gospel, and the use of the sacraments which our Lord Jesus Christ has appointed. Faith is the root, the fountain of all Christian virtue, the first virtue. That's why Peter puts it first here in the list of virtues. You need faith before you can develop any other Christian virtue. Or before, if you want to put it that way, before any virtue that you may possess in an unbelieving state becomes conformed to the biblical standard of virtue. Whatever is not of faith is sin, and all the virtues of the unbelieving are mere splendid vices in the judgment of God. Virtues that are not rooted in faith are not virtues in God's sight as all, at all. So as a virtue, then, faith is the daily receiving of the Word of God as truth above all other truth, and the daily practice of trusting God for all things necessary for body and soul. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, gives us the great examples of faith in the well-known chapter, Hebrews 11. Now, the apostle begins that chapter with a kind of definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I think what the apostle is saying there is 
that faith is to possess Christ and his benefits now. It's the substance of things hoped for. But to possess those things only in part, we still hope for them as well. It is also the evidence of things not seen. That is, to have these things now and to believe in these things now is the evidence that those things, uh, which we do not see yet, exist and will one day be ours. But then in verses 4 and following, the apostle gives us a long list of examples of faith. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and uh, uh, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and so on throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And he makes clear that in a certain sense, this faith of the Old Testament saints was different from our faith. Because he says, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These Old Testament saints lived before the fulfillment of the promises. They only saw those promises afar off. They were persuaded of them, they embraced them, and because of their persuasion, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. We have something better, the apostle says at the end of this chapter. Verses 39 and 40, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So all of these uh, lived in an age before the fulfillment of the promises and therefore had much less of the riches of grace in Christ than we have. And yet they had this strong faith that caused them to confess that they were pilgrims and strangers in the earth, to look for a better country, and to do all these things that the apostle celebrates throughout this chapter. Abel offered a better sacrifice than his wicked brother Cain. Enoch was taken um, away so that he did not see death. Noah built the ark. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Moses reckoned the treasures of Egypt uh, to be nothing compared to the glories of the riches that are in Christ Jesus and, in fact, preferred suffering with the people of God than the riches that were his in Egypt. This was their faith, and the apostle celebrates that faith, of course, very clearly and very powerfully in uh, verses 32 and following. After giving us the long list of examples and describing those examples in some detail, he says this, and what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, 
worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of sword, of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with, uh, with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. That was how they exercised their faith. And this faith, then, we are saying, that is the root, the beginning, the foundation, the fountain of all Christian virtue. That's why Peter begins with it. We must begin with faith. We must ask these virtues of God. We must depend on God to develop them in us. We must use the means of grace which God has provided in order that these virtues may grow and develop in us. Now, the second thing that the Apostle Peter talks about here is virtue. And this, of course, corresponds to that word which we've been using to describe the Christian virtues. Does it have, then, a special meaning here in 2 Peter 1? Or does it have the same kind of meaning that we give to that word in English? I believe that the word does have the same general idea as our English word virtue. It's moral goodness, moral excellence. The word is used um, three other times in the scriptures. The first is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where the Apostle Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That is, if there is anything, I believe he means, of moral excellence as defined by the scriptures. The second place where the word is used is 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the word is translated here, praises, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is the excellences. And those excellences of God are also moral excellences, not only excellent, uh, moral excellences, but certainly partly that. He is the Holy One. He is the Righteous One, and so on. 
And finally, the word also appears a second time in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And again, I think that there is a reference here to the virtue or to the moral excellence, the excellence of God. And he's saying God has used his glory, his virtue, to set before us our calling. So the word, I think, does mean, this Greek word does mean what we mean by the word virtue. But I think we should take it here in 2 Peter 1, verse 5, add to your faith virtue, as the general category to which all the other virtues belong. That what we would mean when we say he's a virtuous person, or what we mean when we talk about Christian virtues, it's not a particular virtue, but it's the Christian virtues as a whole, it's, or it's Christian virtue as a whole. It's moral goodness. It's here then a kind of summary word, and what the Apostle Peter is saying to us is here, here is, you have faith now. God has saved you, God has regenerated you, God has given you his grace. You have faith as his gift. You need to develop that gift of faith in you, but you also need to add to that faith Virtue. You need to add to that faith moral excellence, that purity of nature that we may say here, in fact, I think that sanctification or holiness is a kind of uh, synonym of this uh, word virtue. As our Lord Jesus Christ sanctifies us, that is, as he makes us holy, he works these virtues in us, or this virtue, this moral excellence in us. And this moral excellence, this general moral excellence, is necessary for the practice of all the virtues that Peter lists following it, and that... Um, are found in other places of the scriptures as well. I think we have a very good example of this moral excellence in Job. Remember what is said of Job three times in the first two chapters of that book. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. He was blameless, or he was a man of integrity. He was a man who was, in a certain sense, complete in Christ and upright. He was morally excellent. He was a virtuous man. He feared God, and he shunned evil. There are the two sides of moral excellence, the positive virtue of fearing God, and the negative virtue of shunning evil, departing from evil. And this is said of, God, of Job by God himself. 
In verse 8 of that chapter, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And God said it to Satan again. In chapter 2, verse 3, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Job displayed this moral excellence, this blamelessness, this uprightness, this fear of God and this shunning of evil. That is what God expects of us as we live to him in this world. We're going to stop there today because we've taken up enough time for today, and we'll begin next time with the study of the word knowledge and go on to some of the other virtues here in 2 Peter chapter 1. May God bless you as you seek to know him and to be conformed to his image through prayer and the study of his word.